This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Marty Baran, this is going to be a fun episode for us because you and I love the numbers. Who introduced you first to the analytics of hockey? Well, it has to be the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Corsi. And the Corsi number is not because of Jim Corsi himself, but he used to always measure our workload with shots that we save and also shots that have missed the net. And he used to consider like, hey, you had a very busy night. Like maybe you only had 25 saves, but you faced 70 shot attempts or whatnot. And I think that was my first real indication that, oh, there's more than just saves and goals and points and plus minus. And so I'll give Jim Corsi a shout out when it comes to uh, my first taste of analytics. Under general manager Kevin Adams, the Sabres have really invested in their analytical department. That is the focus of today's episode. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. So whether you're visiting Seneca and Niagara, Allegheny or Buffalo Creek. The Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The Sports Book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. It is great to be joined by Sam Ventura, the VP of Hockey Strategy and Research for the Sabres. And the reason I reiterate that title is I want to know what goes into the title specifically, Sam, because we live in this world where Thankfully, hockey departments across this league and the globe have expanded from an analytical standpoint, but it's not just like your manager of the analytics department. Tell us what goes into that title. Yeah, well, it was meant to be very literal, you know, so I mean, hockey, I think that's an obvious one. Uh, strategy can sort of encompass anything from on ice strategy to front office strategy. And research really, it, it genuinely means that we're trying to learn as much as we can about the sport. Uh, what leads to winning, what leads to goal scoring, what leads to preventing goals and what leads to winning Stanley Cups. So, so okay, did you so come up it, with the title or did they? Uh, it was a, it was a joint effort. <laughs> <laughs> the first of its kind across the NHL. Um, the, the, you know what? It's funny. There, a, a lot of people have very similar ones and one word will be different across, uh, across the different titles. So we, we do kind of, uh, jab each other a little bit. So, okay. Well, I want to focus on strategy because you mentioned, you know, the, the that word in your title. So how often do you and, or meet with Don Granado or the coaching staff to actually talk strategy based on what you see uh, with your eye test numbers and everything that comes into play? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a two-way street between my department and the coaching staff in Buffalo and, and the coaching staff in Rochester for that matter. Um, you know, most of what we do for them now is focused on game preparation, uh, a little bit of performance evaluation. So, you know, like in what areas are we performing well, where do we need some work according to the numbers? And, you know, we, we like to deliver that information to them and they're the experts on the game and they're the experts on their system and the ways that they want to play. So our viewpoint is that we need to give them all the information that, uh, that they need in order to make the best decisions and then turn it over and put it in their hands in terms of how to use it and uh, design practices to improve the team and just focus on the areas where we, uh, where we want to get better. What's the kind of fluidity of that situation like, though? And is it Don? Is it more the assistants? Is it one person more than others in this kind of situation? Um, you know, it depends. It, it, it depends on the specific area that we're talking about. So if it's, uh, you know, um, if it's something that's more uh, pregame preparation driven, it might be uh, you know, the, the interface might be more with the video coaches. Um, if it's more about the penalty kill, then, you know, we'll talk to some of the assistant coaches on that. If it's more about the power play, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, it really just depends on what area we're, we're talking about here, but there is, you know, there's some, obviously some information that we deliver to the coaches on a regular basis. And that goes out to everybody. Okay. A lot of people hear analytics and they cringe. Like, I mean, it's part of today's world. It's part of not just sports, but everything, right? Data driven decisions and all of that. So you, Sam Ventura, 
Do you watch every game from the first puck drop to the end? Do you take clips? Do you focus more on the numbers? How does it all come about for you and your work and your preparation? Uh, watch the game. What does that mean? I thought I thought the game was played on a spreadsheet. Is that not true? <laughs> oh, well, I love that you're sarcastic about it because that, <laughs> a lot of people believe that's all the numbers people do they just look at their their spreadsheet and their excel spreadsheet and they 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 think that's how the game and i i'm not saying that's not a good way to look at it but there's obviously a good marriage between the two so where yeah. do you uh, where do you see all of that yeah no i mean so so we watch every game uh you know uh, i guess like i i tend to think of uh analytics less as like a um you know, like, a, it's a, I think some people sort of view it as almost like a religion, you either believe it or, or you don't, you know, and there's, there's, you're either all the way right or all the way wrong. And in reality, like, I think it's more just, um, it's a, it's a set of information that we use to better understand the game. Uh, how do we, how do we better prepare ourselves to win hockey games? Um, so it's, it's not like, you know, and, and, and it sort of goes hand in hand with the eye test. Like there's some things that, uh, that, analytics uh, won't be able to tell you that the eye test will and vice versa. And, and, you know, we'll make the best decisions, whether it's on the ice or, or off the ice up in the front office by incorporating both, uh, you know, ways of looking at things. What is like, how do you actually view the game though? Meaning what is your personal situation room? Like size of monitor slash monitors <laughs> and how many devices running simultaneously to what you're watching? Yeah, I mean, I, I watch the game on a TV like most people do. Uh, you know, if I'm not at the game, obviously, uh, I have I have my laptop and a couple monitors here that I use to uh, keep track of certain things throughout the game. And, um, you know, but honestly, my, you know, 99% of my focus is on what's actually happening on the ice throughout the game. How did it, uh, the, the contact was made by Kevin Adams. How did that all come about? Like you were in Pittsburgh uh, doing your research and strategy over there i don't know if it was the same words that you use but how did that contact was made with kevin adams where does the history come between the two of you yeah it was a uh, you know it was a it, it all happened very fast honestly um you know my my uh, contract was up in pittsburgh and uh, this opportunity in buffalo arose pretty quickly um you know i got a call from uh kevin and, and jason carmanos and you know to see if i was available for uh, for, to work. And, um, you know, we, we talked about it for a little bit and it seemed like a great fit. I was just really excited about what, uh, what the, what Kevin is building here, uh, and, um, you know, the general approach and philosophy for, uh, roster construction and, and just, uh, you know, trying to build from the ground up through the draft and with development. And it really, it rung true with what I, what I was interested in. And it just was a really exciting opportunity. And, uh, here I am. And, you know, it's been great. Uh, everybody in the organization has uh, treated me really well. And I think, um, you know, uh, we're, we're on track to, um, to keep improving and, and get better every day. How many years doing this professionally and who gave you the first break? Was it Jim Rutherford? Yeah, I, I started, uh, I was in the public sphere doing some, some, you know, hockey analytics right. research. Uh, and so I did that for about, um, for a couple of years before, uh, Jim Rutherford gave me an opportunity to, uh, consult with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and then, you know, Jason Carmanos, our associate GM was working in Pittsburgh at the time and he was, uh, instrumental in bringing me in there. Um, so I did that for, I consulted for two years and then worked uh, four years full-time in Pittsburgh. You know, we won a couple Stanley Cups. That was uh, an awesome experience. And, uh, you know, this is my first year with the Sabres. So something like seven or so, I guess, professionally. But it, it's sort of uh, the, the lines are sort of blurry in terms of wh which years you count and which you don't. Well, what's changed <laughs> the most in the seven years? Um, you know, honestly, it's uh, the, the for, for me specifically, um, you know, and, and what my job entails, it's the quality of the data that we have coming in has changed a lot since I first started. So, you know, going back then, it was really just, you took whatever the league gave to you uh, and you tried to extract as much information as you could out of it. You know, I mean, that's really the only option you had. Um, you know, now there are data that we can use to try to quantify player and team performance and strategies in ways that we just weren't able to if you go back to 2015. 
Um, and then the league actually, you know, just recently started uh, providing teams uh, with player and puck tracking data, which is essentially it's tracking, you know, 20 times per second, the exact location and uh, trajectory of all the players on the ice. So you can almost imagine it like on a computer screen, there's little dots flying around the uh, the screen. And, and that's obviously a really exciting uh, set of information for us because it allows us to really dig into, um, you know, more of the strategic aspects of the game and try to quantify, uh, you know, start to go beyond just quantifying team general team performance and start to break it down into very specific areas. So there's so many numbers, right? And on the broadcast, the last few years, we'd get like some numbers fed to us and it would be, oh, they're top five and passes to the slot or top five and cross corner dump ins recovery percentage at even strength with uh, left-handed shots shooting it in the right corner. Like it was like so much. So I'm asking you what numbers matters and what numbers yeah. don't like, what are the yeah. numbers that you say we have to focus on it, but what numbers you're like, put that in the trash. Well, honestly, I mean, the number that we care about the most is, is wins. Uh, and like the, 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 honestly, the driving before driving force behind everything we do in my department, it really, it all comes back to win. So how do you win? You, you win by, you, by scoring more goals or preventing your opponent from scoring more goals. And then, so then you go down a level below that and you say, well, how do you score more goals? Well, you need to generate more scoring chances, you know, and then on defense, you need to prevent more scoring chances. And so then it's, how do you, how do you do that? How do you generate more scoring chances? And you go a level below that and. You know, you could break down the process of the game, um, you know, every single piece is something that could potentially lead to a scoring chance for or could potentially lead to a scoring chance against. And so we try to break down every piece of the game that's happening uh, throughout throughout the course of the game uh, and try to quantify, you know, the impact on uh, on, you know, game outcomes that we actually care about, like goal scoring and, and ultimately winning. But is is hockey the least inexact science of the big four North American sports? Um, I, I might use a slightly different phrase and say it's the, it's the most unpredictable. Yes. Uh, random, right. A lot of yeah. random occurrences um, in hockey, right? I, I mean, I think it makes sense, right? We're playing our sport is played on ice with a rubber puck that, you know, gets shot around at a hundred miles per hour. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's an inherently chaotic sport. With stanchions um, that can send it in any the puck in yeah. any different direction and yeah yes um, you know so so you know I think just because of that because of the chaotic nature of the sport it's um, you know it's 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 always hard to predict what happens but it actually makes it makes my job more fun and I actually think it it makes it so that if you do uh, if you do hockey analytics well you can really start to establish some competitive advantages over the rest of the league and that's what we're hoping to build towards. One thing that I'm focusing on this year a little bit are expected goals for expected goals against uh, and where that fits in your system. And, and also with your players and your goaltenders, if you're playing above what you're expected or below your expectation. But the one thing that Duffer and I talked the other day is, okay, so last week we played the Washington Capitals. If Alex Ovechkin takes a shot from the slot, it is giving a certain percentage that is expected to go in. But if somebody who has not scored, you know, the amount of goals that Ovechkin has scored takes the same shot, it's the same value. How can we adjust that moving forward that a player like Ovechkin gets a different value on a scoring chances compared to me taking a shot from the slot in the same position? Yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely ways to do that to account for how good the, the shooters are. So, I mean, just briefly, you know, expected goals, uh, it, it essentially just, it takes the things we know about each shot. So usually just where it was taken from and, you know, so the angle of the shot, the distance to the goal, uh, maybe information about if it was say on a breakaway or a two-on-one or something like that, and tries to tell you the chances that it would go in. Um, and so if you think about that process, all we need to do is to start building in more information into that, uh, into that model to be able to get better estimates of the chances that it would go in. So, I mean, think of it from your perspective, um, like, would you rather face a screenshot or an unscreen shot? 
Yeah, it would be unscreened and from yeah, right. uh, so, 95 so feet away possible. That would be good. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. So, so if you can start to account for all the things that, you know, the things that you're thinking about when you're playing in goal in the National Hockey League uh, and start to account for that in your models, then uh, you can get better and better, uh, better, better and better estimates of, of these expected goals numbers. Now, I mean, what's been done in the public, I think, is really good, given the information that's out there. You know, we obviously have some, uh, like I said, sort of more granular data that allows us to, um, you know, break down each shot into uh, in, in more detailed ways that, um, you know, ultimately, you know, gives us better, at least I, I think, better uh, estimates of, of uh, the chance that each shot will go in. And quickly, Duffer, if you um, allow it. So if Don Granado after a game says, we played pretty good today, I felt like we had chances and it was a pretty even game. And then you watch the game and you're like, mm, I don't know about that. And you have the data. And at the end of the night, like you were, your expected, your expected goals for us were, you know, somewhere in one and a half and the other team at three and a half. Do you go down to Don and say, hey, listen, maybe it looked good from the bench. Uh, but from what I saw on TV and what the numbers give us, like it wasn't that good a game. Like, do you have that, co that, that conversation with the coaches? Yeah. Well, I mean, not, not really, because I don't think that's actionable, but like, let me give you a conversation we might have, which is, um, you know, we can break the team's performance down into more, uh, you know, modular and fine grain categories. And so I might go down and say to Donnie, um, you know, we played really well on in this particular area, but we didn't play really well on that particular area. And so that that's something that's a little bit more actionable because it gives the coaching staff, OK, you know, when we're thinking about tomorrow's practice or the next game, you know, here are the areas that we might need to improve on uh, and focus on either in video or practice. OK, this is not. Uh, this is, this is You're not right. <laughs> your area of expertise, uh, in the sense of, I'm not asking you to produce television or be a media and content provider, but what statistics analytically speaking, would you like to see integrated more into league wide presentations like local broadcasts, national broadcasts? Yeah. I, I think the things that I would be interested in are not things that most other people would be interested in, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I guess I would say, um, you know, like I, I think about basic statistics like goals and assists. Um, and, you know, the issue with goals and assists is that goals are rare, right? So like we don't, so, so you don't, every time a player does something really well, um, it doesn't show up on the, you know, in the box score of, of, you know, this player had two points tonight or this player had zero points tonight. But, you know, if you think about it from the perspective of other players on the ice, um, there are, you know, there, there are tons of occasions throughout the game where uh, your best player might set up one of his teammates for, a, you know, high quality scoring chance. And, um, you know, that doesn't show up, show up on the score sheet unless the teammate, uh converts on that chance. And so I guess like the things that I'm interested in are uh, individual player performance that's sort of independent of the performance of the rest of your team or independent of the performance of your opponent, um, because it, it starts to account for things like luck and, uh, you know, good bounces and bad bounces a little bit better. Uh, and okay. which, which older mainstream stats would you like to see disappear? Duffer has an ulterior motive. I'll no, let you know. Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, on principle, I don't necessarily want to make anything disappear. Uh, but I, I think there's some that we can improve. Uh, so like one would be, um, you know, so like think about uh, takeaways and giveaways, mm. uh, which I think the, the analytics community really isn't a fan of these stats. And, and for good reason, because like something like giveaways, you know, um, the players with the most giveaways are are really just the ones who have the puck on their stick the most. And Correct. so, when you see the league leaders in in in, in giveaways, you're like, well, these, these this is the NHL All Star team. Like this doesn't make any sense. But um, so I guess like I I want to see stuff like that improved upon as opposed to just removed entirely. So something as simple as just accounting for how often you're touching it, or you know, um, accounting for where you're touching it on the ice. You know, things like that I think give you a little bit better perspective on uh 
which players are are performing well and which ones aren't. What, I what figured about, Duffer was going to say, what about plus minus? That's where and, I thought and, Duffer and was going to go. And hits. hits. Hits and plus minus. What's their relevance? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, they're not super relevant for me. Um, maybe hits more so than plus minus just because uh, plus minus is something that we can improve on with other information. Uh, you know, I mean, the issue with plus minus is always um, – you might you might be a high plus player just because you play on a team with the best goalie in the league who's, who's not going to let in as many goals or you might be a high minus player because you're you're con you know you're a very good defensive player but you're being put out there against the opposing team's top scoring lines and so there's all these issues with plus minus that unless you're accounting for you know how a player is being deployed by his coach who his teammates are whose line mates are all that kind of stuff um, it's not going to give you an accurate picture of, of, um, you know, who that player is, uh, over the course of the whole season. Um, you know, hits is interesting. I, I think hits are, are, um, towing on the line of being a little bit more controversial here, but, um, you know, players who, who have more hits generally are ones whose team, uh, doesn't have, you, you can only get a hit if your team does not have possession of the puck. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to be careful about how you use hits. Um, so like what, where on the ice are they occurring might tell you something a little bit more about, um, a player's effective physicality as opposed to just throwing his body around unnecessarily. So, um, you know, I, I believe that hockey is a physical sport and that competitiveness and physicality matter a lot, um, but they they matter in specific ways and in specific cases. You know, you, you shouldn't just hit someone just to hit them. You should hit them with the intention of separating them from the puck and regaining possession and and turning the puck up ice and and all that kind of stuff. So um, so that's one. You know, just in the NHL's data, you know, hit a hit is a hit. It doesn't matter what happened um, afterwards. And so that's something where you can start to better break down a player's physicality when you start to account for some of the contextual facts. I have a quick follow-up to that. And then I have another one that I want to make sure I get to, but does it drive you crazy? Like it drives me crazy how like we have, and I don't know if you have a better way to get hits statistics, but we basically have one person in the press box that presses a button when there's a hit, right? And you go to the Islanders or you go to another building and, you know, Matt Martin with the New York Islanders will throw a hit and they will have 17 at the end of the night. And in Buffalo, there may be just eight for the whole game. Like, how does that affect you in how you view some of those stats with giveaways, takeaways, hits, uh, and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Um you know, the, the league has gotten a lot better with that kind of stuff over the years. Like, I think that was more of an issue when you go back, you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, but, but they've really, the league is honestly, they made a really good effort to um, put some policies in place to, to improve the, um, you know, uh, the discrepancies between uh, ranks in terms of how things are scored. Um, you know, that said, like it, you know, obviously we, what we try to do is just use the most accurate information possible. So we do have some other, um, sources that, that provide us with some yeah. of that information that might be subject to these, you know, rink to rink differences, uh, across the league. And the, uh, the real question I wanted to go to is more on the research side. So you talk about research as to where the game is going. And so we saw the other night, I mean, Trevor Zegers picks up the puck behind the net, flips it to Milano in front of the net. Like the game is becoming so much more skilled than it ever was, faster than it ever was. Uh, do you have to go back now and watch what they're doing at the 15U level or 12U level to be able to, to do the research and know what that's going to be like in 10 years from now? How does that affect the research side of your, uh, of your title? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, honestly, um, if, we, if, we have, if we had data on the 15U players, we would process it and we would try to, um, you know, figure out, you know, what, you know, at what rate certain skills are developed by players at those ages and, you know, what kind of things are, are useful for us to focus on as we're, um, you know, identifying players for the amateur draft, for example. 
Um, but you know, when you when you sort of fast forward at the NHL level and you see uh, what these players are doing um, on the ice from a from a high skill perspective, you know, I think it's a balance. Like a, you have to try to, uh, you know, like my philosophy is you have to try to break down uh, player performance into um, you know the individual categories that we think matter. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure I would say, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say like puck skill or, or stick handling skill or whatever you want to call it is, is more or less important than anything else. But I think we, you know, like my goal is just to try to quantify it as accurately as possible. And then, you know, use that information to make, uh, better decisions. The one thing that I struggle with the most is trying to give proper context to everything that we're talking about. And so Marty gave that craziness of, you know, statistical analysis before about cross corner dump ins. And we rank first in that on left-handed defensemen or whatever, things like that. But sometimes the entire scope of 32 teams is only separated by like a two percentage points. Like one team does it 15% well. And the other, the last place team is at 13.2. So it makes me not want to focus too much on that. But, and then the, the other part of it is like you mentioned player tracking. So one of the quick things that came out was distance traveled and speed and things like that. But my problem, Sam, is if a guy's going 24 miles an hour, I don't know the context of the other 700 players in the league in that precise moment. Like what would the difference be? Would the worst guy be 21? Would the best guy be 27? Or is everybody separated by one mile an hour at this point in time? Yeah. And honestly, I think you're hitting a lot of, uh, really, really insightful points, honestly. Like, I mean, so the point you made about, um, the, the difference between the best and the worst teams, um, according to certain metrics, like this is actually an actively studied area of sports analytics research that like, how do you, uh, you know, how much value does a metric have when, you know, the difference between the best team or the best player and the worst team or the worst player is so small. Um, so like, that's something that even the, you know, the best minds around the world are, are still, you know, trying to um, figure out ways to, to deal with things like that. Um, you know, on the speed question, I think that's more of a, um, that's more of a presentation of the information question than anything. So like for me, um, like, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I always like to see uh, where a player falls relative to his peers so you know because you could break down what you said even further that you know forwards are generally in better position to skate fast than defensemen are um you know because forwards are usually the ones who are um you know on the rush carrying the puck through the neutral zone and and you know in situations where speed matters a little bit more and so i would want to see it broken down by forwards versus defensemen maybe even centers versus wingers um you know, and maybe even by like, uh, by age, like it would be cool to see, you know, who's the, who's the fastest, uh, you know, 35 year old in the NHL or something, but, um, do you but think we'll, with, do you think we'll get there NHL wise oh, yeah. or other, I mean, like it'll be sortable yeah, like, and stuff like that? that for sure. Um, you know, and that's just something that I think is just more, um, it's just due to the fact that this information just became available to us, you know, in the last, I don't know, you know, 18 months or so. Um, and so, um, you know, once we sort of figure out what information is most useful, you know, hopefully the more of the focus goes towards, you know, what's the best way to, to deliver it to fans and, and make it digestible for, um, for everybody, as opposed to just, um, you know, the people who are behind the scenes like me. One of the biggest, um, decision that Don Granado made this year was moving Tage Thompson to the middle of the ice and playing center. Let me ask you this. Was there any metrics that you saw that was like, Ooh, that's interesting. That's going to be a good idea. Or no, I don't know if that's going to work. Like I like the, the, the thinking outside the box, but the metrics don't suggest that. Is there any metrics that you could pull before the move was made that was going to give you an indication? Yeah, honestly, I think that speaks more to Donnie's instinct for the game and just his, his knowledge of, of the players on his roster than anything. Um, okay. you know, uh, I think he, he knows his players really well. Uh, and he obviously saw something in Tage that, uh, you know, he felt that a move to center would be suitable for him. And, um, you know, I think it's worked out really well. And so, yeah, I think the credit there goes to Donnie and the coaching staff, 
um, for for identifying that and and working with the the players to make it work. Have you seen his puck possession numbers like go up from being on the wing to compare now being at center? Like, is there something that's that's better reflecting on Tage's game? Yeah, I mean, you know, anytime you play the middle of the ice, you know, you have you have much more opportunity to touch the puck, like particularly in the in the defensive zone. Uh, and I think that's something that he is specifically really good at, you know, with with his puck skill, you know, getting those touches um, down low in the defensive zone. He can make plays, uh, you know, moving the puck puck up ice and then, you know, still being involved in the neutral zone and and transporting the puck into the offensive zone. Um, you know, he's just he's in such a, a better position now to um, to, to have those touches and then, you know, make positive impacts on our team because of that. I don't expect you to have a specific number on this, but what percentage of players are super receptive to all this kind of information? And do you ever see trends, be it age-wise, geographical backgrounds, as far as the types of players that are really receptive to all this kind of information? Well, I, I mean, I think it, it probably shouldn't be surprising. I think younger players are generally a little bit more interested in, um, you know, seeing, seeing the hard numbers uh, than, uh, than older players. And I don't, I'm not really making that in reference to anybody on the Buffalo Sabres. That's more just based on my history of working in the league. Um, and I think it makes sense, like, you know, younger players come up through more of a culture of, um, you know, uh, uh, of things like playing video games and, and looking at stat sheets and, um, you know, they're, uh, when they're playing in junior or, or even at lower levels, like the information that's available to them now as they're coming up through the ranks is more than what was there 10 years ago when some of the older players were coming through. And so I think it's just more of a natural part of um, how they view the game, um, than it is for, for the older generation of players. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that like every old player is, is against seeing information. I mean, especially, you know, again, it depends on how it's presented to you. Like I, our philosophy is that, um, you know, more information is better and, and it's really just how you decide to use the information that, um, you know, that we can, we can argue about, I guess. I guess I'm going to say the same thing. I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but Tage Thompson scored a goal this year on a one-timer and the shot was a hundred miles an hour. Um, I know we see the all-star game, right? The guys take a five strides in and they shoot a puck without any, you know, obstacles in the way. And sometimes they go 105, 106, 107 or whatever. Chara can shoot the puck uh, that hard. What's the hardest shot? goal this season within the Sabres if that was that one by Tage or around the league do you know if it was beat this year in the league if somebody scored a goal shooting 102 yeah I, I don't know off the top of my head but I guess it, you know it's similar to baseball where you know it's easier to hit a home run off of a fastball than it is off of a changeup right so the faster the puck's coming towards you the faster it's gonna uh you know um explode off of your stick yeah. um you know same thing in baseball with the baseball bat um so you know i'm sure that that probably helped um but you know <laughs> he's got a pretty hard shot I, i'd have to i'll have to dig into that one and get back to you to see uh what the hardest one is this I, year well it, what's interesting now is that okay so if let's see there's an apparently situation do you know how hard the pass is getting let's see from rasmus dowling to tage thompson and if you say hey dolls you need to like slow your pass down a little bit so he can really hit the puck or you need to speed it up. So it comes off is, is do you guys get that data as well on the passes? We, we, yeah, we are able to, to break down, you know, at any point in time, you know, if the pucks, you know, if it's moving through the air, you know, on a flip dump, or if it's a pass from across the ice or a shot on goal, we could tell you exactly, uh, or, you know, approximately how fast it's going at any point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Marty, I feel like you were mocking me when you set up that last one. Like, I have to preface this. I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer there. Well, I don't because <laughs> we want that. Like, so when the Major League Baseball, let's say somebody hits a home run, they'll say that was the highest exit velocity right. in the league so far this year. We don't have that yet at the NHL level mm -hmm. where Tage Thompson scores and we know it's 100 miles an hour. Duffer and I have a screen with all the shot velocity in front of us and miles traveled or feet traveled or whatnot. But but it it again, as Duffer, you pointed out, we don't know where it fits around the league. So but 
it'd be interested to know if you guys, Sam, with all your data that you're, you know, take from around the league, if you can figure out what's Nathan McKinnon's hardest shot on a goal this year, you know, be able to get that, that response at some point. So I may look for your number and text you a bunch of times. So don't, uh, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Just feel free anytime. I just think you're right, Sam. Like this is stuff that eventually hopefully will be sortable and, and immediate. I, I think it'll do wonders for the game to be able to put up a top five when, when, insert a name let's say mckinnon if he darts through the middle and all of a sudden you see the top five like he has now eclipsed barzell and crosby and mcdavid for fastest you know straight line speed up the middle like that that's where fans i think get hooked don't they yeah for sure um uh, you know i i uh in it, I guess I would just say a uh, hundred miles per hour is very fast when we're talking about shots. Um, 24 miles per hour is very fast. I, I just want to reassure everyone. We're not, uh, I'm not saying those are slow, but I, I agree. Like we, uh, yeah. we, you know, putting it in context is the most important thing. And, and that applies to every aspect of, of what I do and what we do as an organization, whether it involves numbers or not, you know, context is really, Context is king, no matter where, uh, what, what aspect of the game you're looking at. So okay, while so- you, you might, you might appreciate everybody trying to incorporate analytics into discussion points in media, but do you cringe every now and again, when you feel like analytical stuff is being used without proper context? Um, you know, I, I tend to have more of a positive outlook on it. Like, I'm just, I'm glad that, uh, that people are, are making an effort and trying to bring more information to, to the average fan. Um, I think it's a good thing. I think it's an investment, you know, cause there are, um, there are people who will see that and then want to, to dig into it further. Um, you know, and I, I think that's only, it can only be a good thing, you know, if you're sort of inspiring, uh, all fans to, um, to sort of look into the game and learn more about the game in any way that they can. How do you increase goal scoring in the NHL? And uh, is it calling more penalties, uh, slimming the goaltender's equipment, making bigger nets? Like what do you Sam Ventura think would be a good way to increase goal scoring in the NHL? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, better than anyone goalies are too good these days, right? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, the goalie, the, you know, how, how well they're coached coming up through the ranks, like even the worst goalie in the NHL is still, you know, an unbelievable uh, talent. And so uh, unfortunately there's not really a lot we can do about that. So we have to sort of, um, you know, look to other areas. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on, on equipment, so I won't say anything about that. Um, you know, you would know better than I would. Um, you know, what I'm an expert on is what the data tells me. And the data tells me that, uh, you know, more, more goals are scored, um, you know, uh, on the rush than on the cycle, uh, more goals are scored when, um, you know, it, it, in four on four situations or power play situations than at five on five. And so if it is your goal to increase goal scoring around the league, like those would be the ways to do it, to try to, um, put players in, in more positions to, uh, to score those goals. So whether it be more power plays or just, you know, generally, um, a faster game, a more uh, wide open transition game or, or something like that. First memory as a kid of diving into sports slash hockey numbers. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I used to, uh, I used to read the sports section with my grandfather uh, in the morning, you know, probably more looking at baseball stats because the, the newspaper that I was looking at just had like a whole, you would open it up and it would have a whole page of just the box scores of every baseball game. And you could really, you just look at every single one and sort through it. And this is pre-internet. So like that, and you, you know, you couldn't get that information anywhere else. Um, you know, uh, I, I also remember just always following the NHL scoring leaders and, um, you know, checking to see, uh, you know, where, where my favorite players were ranked that morning and, Oh, Oh no, you know, team Mussolini had three points and passed my other favorite player. Like, <laughs> life is over, you know, just like, so, um, you know, when you're a little kid, it's like, it's so important to you. Um, and so that's, uh, that's probably my first memory just off the top of my head. Yeah. 
And where did you study to, to be into this field? There's a lot of people that are like, I want to be in sports uh, and I want to be involved with a hockey team, a football team, a baseball team, but I don't know where I'm supposed to go and what my studies should look like. What is your uh, approach to that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I never intended on this being my career, um, as weird as that might sound. Like I, I, was, uh, I was always good at things like math and statistics. And so, you know, I was in graduate school studying, studying that, you know, for more of like an academic career. And, uh, you know, I, I got uh, in touch with one of the professors in my graduate school department, who was a big name in the sports analytics field. And, um, you know, I was playing on our club hockey team at the time, and he and I started working together uh, on some hockey analytics research. And it just kind of, honestly, it was more of a snowball than anything. Like it just sort of, we started doing one thing and then it snowballed into something else. And then eventually we had done all this stuff and had gained a little bit of notoriety where, you know, we both started getting recognized um, publicly for what we were doing and um, eventually started getting some calls from NHL teams. So, you know, it was, it was honestly more by accident than anything, but I, I guess like if I'm speaking to, uh, to people who are interested in a career like this, you know, Um, you should you should study math and, and statistics and computer science uh, and you should learn more about the game like you know the people who get these kinds of jobs are the ones who blend expertise in both areas you have to understand the sport that you're uh, that you're working in and you also have to you know have the technical chops to be able to deal with the kind of problems that we face uh, professionally in this field so um, so I would say you know try to beef up your your resumes on on those couple of areas Do you remember the first hockey game you attended as a kid and what player, which player's jersey did you first own as a kid? Um, you know, I can't remember the first game that I attended, but I, I can tell you a funny story. Um, so I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, if you've ever seen the movie Sudden Death um, with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, and it was filmed at the old uh, Civic Arena. And I remember... Um, you know, my cousin, I think it was, took me down to the game to watch the filming, you know, because they needed extras in the stands for this film. So I remember as like, I don't remember how old I was, you know, six or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, and thinking, you know, so every once in a while, like you would be looking and the players on the ice would start passing the puck around and then they'd stop, you know, because the producer's cutting and, yep. and trying to like set up different scenes. I remember just being so upset. Like, why are they not playing? Like I just, we were here, we, we came here before to watch <laughs> a hockey game. Like, why are we not watching hockey? So I'm here as an extra somewhere in this film, probably looking like the most upset little six-year-old. Uh, so if you watch, if you watch sudden death, just uh, look for me in the stands, look for a, a really, uh, really upset six-year-old. So because you grew up in the Pittsburgh area and obviously with the Penguins uh, and Mario in those days was pretty impressive. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot you a this or that at you. Okay. Who is the best player to ever play the game? Is it Wayne or is it Mario? I mean, that's easy. Either or this or that you pick one or the other. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to turn in my, uh, my citizenship card for, Uh, the city of Pittsburgh, if I don't say Mario Lemieux. So uh, <laughs> yeah, easy, easy answer for me. Okay. Okay. Oh. Um, Will, uh, well, I guess this, who is the greatest goal scorer? Um, if you look at data or even just the eye test, uh, I mean, we are seeing Ovechkin coming into such a, a, an era where goals are not as easy to come. Um, I mean, Is it Wayne? Is it Ovi? Or is it Mike Bossy or Mario? Who do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm a younger guy, so I'm, I'm probably biased towards saying Ovi. Um, you know, he's, uh, I, I think what he's been able to do in this era is just absolutely incredible. And, and the fact that he can still do it uh, at his age, where, you know, you, you usually see most players starting to tail off at that point, and he seems to just get better and better every year. So, um, you know, I, I would have to say Ovechkin. You might have just lost that Pittsburgh citizenship card. I, yeah, Twice. I, uh, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky is going to hear this and just think I'm, uh, I'm a huge Wayne Gretzky hater. I'm not. I just, you're asking two really edge case questions here. You know? uh, did you, uh, did you go to a lot of games at the Igloo as a kid? Uh, you know, as much as I could, um, yeah. you know, uh, it was always like uh, a birthday present would be, you know, a pair of hockey tickets or something like that. And, you mm -hmm. know, so it was probably only a couple times a year. Um, you know, when I was in high school, 
uh, my friends and I, you know, put some money together and, and bought a season ticket plan and we would split the, the season oh. tickets. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was, a, it was a little cheaper back then. Um, oh yeah. You know, but, uh, but it was good. So we, you know, I, I went to a ton of games as a kid. Yeah. I was thrilled that you mentioned Tim Mussolini uh, just a few moments ago. Were there other, you know, non-Pittsburghers that, uh, you know, just guys that you love? Didn't have to be on your favorite team. Just just guys that yeah. were. Um, he was definitely one of them. Um, you know, probably like Pavel Bure. I, I, I liked him a lot. I mean, I, you know, probably just the speed aspect of his game. Um you know, I always played, uh, you know, NHL 94 and, and, you know, those, those kind of games. So like Sergei Fedorov was, was ridiculous in those games. And, um, you know, uh, the, the, there's, I don't know if you guys are aware of like the whole cliff running thing. Yeah. Uh, you remember cliff that, that he's his, his stats are kind of like inflated, uh, in that, in one of those games where he ends up being this, like, uh, uh, I think it's Cliff Ronning. Now my memory is starting to betray me. I might have it wrong, but there's there's some player. I think well, I remember Cliff when we played, we couldn't use Jeremy Roenick with the Chicago Blackhawks because uh, he was too good. Like you couldn't knock him off the puck. He would hit you and you'd get hurt. It was just, we couldn't use Jeremy Roenick. So, but I remember Cliff Ronning was good. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, the 94-95 edition of uh, NHL Sega was, the Sabres were really, really good. Um, so that was, yeah, that, that was my team. I picked the Sabres back then because they were really good. Yeah. Love it. Um, and then honestly, I was, a, I was a big Dominic Koshik fan. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I always, I, I liked, uh, I liked the goaltenders. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, not, I never played goalie, but, um, you know, I just always, uh, was a big fan of the best goalies and just was always really impressed by what they could do. So I'm not, I'm not trying to pump your tires or anything here. I just, no, no, no. I, I, I'm good. One more about numbers. And it's just popped in my mind because you, years ago, they used to say about 90% of the goals were scored along the ice, right? You would always tell the players like you, your kid, you're eight. Don't try to go bar down. Most goals, 90% of the goals are scored right along the ice or within six inches. Is that still true today? Um, I don't know if, I don't know if the raw percentages are, are still, it's not 90%, but um you know, I guess what I could tell you is um, it depends where along the ice and where, like if you're shooting high, it depends where you're shooting and that, okay. uh, you know, being able to pick your spot, I think is more important than focusing on, you know, shooting at one particular area. Um, I would agree with your advice to, to kids that they, they shouldn't be looking to shoot bar down every time. What they should be looking to do is be able to shoot accurately at any depth, at any height, uh, anywhere on the net to be able to pick your spot and, and, you know, add some deception to your shot, uh, is much more important than just being able to hit the crossbar or whatever. There's the research part. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, as soon as you started that answer, then I was thinking Mike bossy, but then it started quickly morphing into all the best goal scorers in the generations that have followed. So, um, I, I think, uh, we have more than exhausted your time here today. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Sam, so much. Uh, is there, anything that you would want to leave the the general hockey fan with as far as you know what you see and think of on a daily basis that uh, that should encourage them to embrace this side of the game moving forward yeah i mean i guess you know just kind of reiterating what i said before that uh, you know hockey analytics is not uh, it's not an adversarial thing you know like we're we're all trying to work together and we're just trying to learn more about the game uh, so that we can put a better product on the ice. And so that's our philosophy and that's what we're trying to do here is, and, you know, hope that we can, uh, you know, build this team up and, and be competing for the Stanley cup. So will you be the next one to stare a star in the movie Moneyball part two, the hockey story with Sam Ventura? Yeah. I, I mean, does that mean I'm the Jonah Hill and not the Brad Pitt? Or <laughs> you pick which one you want to be. That's uh, that's your choice. <laughs> All right. I think you're trying to tell me something here. I don't know. Are you listed on, on uh, IMDb right now because of that cameo in uh... sudden death? <laughs> sudden death. I'm not credited now. Okay. No. All right. All right. Great stuff, Sam. We really appreciate it and, uh, and look forward to further conversations down the road. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Marty, I'm actually feeling guilty that we went as long as we did with Sam. I hope it doesn't prevent a future conversation down the road because the questions just kept coming oh. and coming and coming in my mind. It literally, like the numbers themselves, could never end. Yeah, and this let's call it part one. 
because I okay. know we will need to have a part two at some point with Sam Ventura. Um, yes, there's more questions I've written down on my piece of paper right now after talking to Sam. Um, just a bright young man, and yeah. I, I really believe we'll do a lot of great. And I know you don't love the word great, but a lot of great here with the Buffalo Sabres. Hey, when it's great, I love great. Let's get to our three stars and start us off. Okay, third star, I'm going to go to JT Miller of the Vancouver Canucks. He has 28 points in 29 games this year. That's a team that nobody was talking about, right? The Vancouver Canucks, they were struggling. They were at the bottom of the Pacific Division. Uh, but now they kind of get themselves going because a guy like JT Miller factors in on the power play at five on five and all of that. So JT Miller is my third star. My second star, Duffer. It's Thatcher Demko, the goaltender of the Vancouver Canucks. He's had uh, four straight wins, given up only five goals in those four wins as one shutout. Uh, and he's been, listen, we all know they have a franchise goalie in Vancouver, and it's Thatcher Demko. That's why they moved away from Jacob Markstrom. But again, it was a slow start, and he's finally found his groove. And the first star for me this week will stick with the Vancouver Canucks. It is Bruce. There it is. Bruce, there it is. Bruce Boudreau, who hates that song, by the way, the fans are chanting his name. He's 4-0 as we record this with the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, his impact has been immediate with that team. Players are playing better. They feel a lot looser. And they're getting results. So got to give Bruce Boudreau a huge shout-out. My first start this week. Yeah, Thatcher Demko has been so fun to watch. And by the way, we've also seen the uh, <laughs> renewal once again of Connor Garland. So Connor playing on a good team out there in Vancouver, at least yes. in the small window, is nice to see. Because Sam Ventura was our guest, let's just say in Sesame Street fashion, today's episode is presented by the letter S. And I'm going to stick with that for the three stars, starting with Stephen Stamkos. It, oh. I, I, look, I get it. There was a rough moment here in Key Bank Center this year. Stamkos probably should have got a heavier uh, suspension or anything than what he got for his uh, nasty hit. But <laughs> I will say this. The game for me is far more enjoyable when I see him do the things that he does and to be back well over a point a game, leading a Tampa Bay team that is without Kucherov and without point. Uh, it, it's amazing. And I love it so much. Chandler Stevenson of the Vegas Golden Knights. Honestly, yeah. this guy walked into an ideal setting, probably didn't know it at the time when he left Washington and went to Vegas and George McPhee brought in a familiar face in Stevenson. And now, even though Eichel looms in the distance, the fact that Stevenson is authoring a career year at a point of game right now is again, it just shows that in the right situation, players can be a lot more than what some expect them to be. And he finds himself in a really good spot right now. And thankfully, I will say, Sonny Milano. <laughs> it, uh, if, if Sonny choked in that situation on the pass from Zegras, oh. the world would never have known the greatness of the moment. I personally would have swung and missed. Thank you. I know it happened against the Sabres. It, here's the S word. It sucked that it happened against the Sabres, but Sonny saved the day. Literally that, and that it was, <laughs> it was so close to being high. So there's another S right there. It was so yeah. close, but so smart to wait a little bit and just tap it at crossbar height. That was, that was really cool. And truly so great that is undeniable seneca resorts and casinos the proud sponsor of instigators overtime podcast we'll see you soon